And I had a lot of stuff from like when they were kids, my mom and dad did. So a lot of like sentimental items. Irreplaceable losses. Abbotsford residents return home this weekend to see what they can salvage. Plus. It means we're being heard. We're not being ignored. And that's so important. BC's deputy premier in Princeton, the tour of the devastation and what's next for the flood ravaged city and there's a decreasing level of public safety. People are telling us that they uh, they don't feel safe. The downtown east side's troubling decline, pushing more people out as crime comes in. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Shocking new evidence today of just how dangerous it can be for average citizens living in or near Vancouver's downtown east side. Our Paul Johnson introduces us to a man who not only had a knife pulled on him while walking his dog, but discovered a threatening sticker outside his home as well. Broad daylight walking my dog in a popular park. Much is said and written about how to improve the lives of those living in Vancouver's downtown east side. Chris Karolik is one of them. He can tell you all about the feeling of increased vandalism, theft and petty crime. But it was the man who threatened him with a knife Monday for no reason that really rattled him. When I felt it was safe to do so, I, I got to the other side of the park and I, I dealt with it. I called the police. That man was arrested, but Karolik and others like him are left with a sense that, particularly since the pandemic, things have worsened in Canada's toughest neighbourhood, and they feel abandoned by city leaders. I'd love to see a greater police presence. I'd like to see, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak. So while we're hearing from downtown Eastside residents who are saying the crime problems down here are becoming unbearable and they want more police presence, there are also groups who are saying the opposite, that the solution here isn't more police, but less. The Pivot Legal Society, which advocates on behalf of those in the downtown east side, is promoting a campaign to defund the Vancouver Police Department. They say the VPD denies the existence of structural racism and regularly infringes on the rights and dignity of drug users. So is it more police, less police, or something else? Vancouver Mayor candidate John Cooper offers this take. The first thing is we need to get people into treatment, but we also need to have a, a larger police presence downtown. This is a, a stranger assault, another stranger assault that has occurred in a very public place uh, during broad daylight. Vancouver police told us Saturday they too were getting more reports of people feeling unsafe. And alarmingly, the number of stranger attacks is averaging more than four a day, most in the northern part of the city that includes the downtown east side. Back with Karolik, it turns out his week of indignity didn't end with the knife threat. A couple of days later, someone had put this sticker outside his home. We don't know who made or distributed them, but we know their effect. Make yuppies scared of the downtown east side again. This was stuck on our building call box on Thursday. In the downtown east side, Paul Johnson, Global News. The city of Vancouver is currently in budget discussions and will make a decision next week on policing. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says a strong police force is essential to a healthy and safe city for all. 
We heard from a lot of speakers last week who came in, um, quite honestly, small businesses that are ready to pack it in. Residents who have moved out of the downtown core or are looking to move out of the downtown core, and we don't want to see a hollowing out of our city. Welcome relief. Two more pieces of critical infrastructure in our province are reopening. Highway 99 reopened to essential travel between Pemberton and Lillooet today. This section of Highway 99 had been closed since Wednesday evening following a substantial slide. Checkpoints are in place along the route and travel restrictions will be enforced. Regular passenger vehicles are allowed through, but commercial vehicles are not. The province says Highway 99 could be closed at any time should conditions change. Five people were killed when a mudslide came down along the same route in mid-November. And more than two weeks after it was shut down as a precaution, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is set to reopen tomorrow. The taps have been turned off since November 16th when heavy rains caused slides and washouts along its route. The pipeline is the major conduit for fuel and oil from Alberta to the West Coast. Trans Mountain says there is no indication of leaks or serious damage to the pipeline. The conserve, to conserve rather vital fuel supplies, the province capped fuel purchases on the South Coast to 30 litres. With the rain easing and water levels dropping, more and more people are starting to return to their flood-damaged homes in the Fraser Valley this weekend. As Amadagahi reports, for some, it's not just material items that have been lost, but precious memories. I have to go through all this other stuff and see if any of it's salvageable. It started with a call from her parents saying there was a foot of water in the basement of her childhood home. A lot of it's already been thrown out. But just in a matter of hours, it had nearly tripled. Right here at the highest. Freezer still humming away. The water you see here sat for almost two weeks. So just imagine the cleanup. It's pretty stressful. You can see it on the owner's faces. But, uh, but down, you can imagine being a bit down. The whole house has been flooded. All of it made a little easier at least, with some help from complete strangers. Roads that were closed just a day before are back open Saturday. People coming home to see the landscape looking more familiar. We know that for many of the residents, returning to their homes and farms will not be easy. Some, including homes, may not be inhabitable. The city of Abbotsford's return to home plan has lifted the evacuation orders from a section of the Sumas Prairie. It is labeled as north. It's seen here in blue. The Penners kept close eye on their home through the worst of the floods and now are one of many families returning to damage up close. My dad's upstairs, but he's dealing with some of the other people looking at other damage that had happened. Yeah. And mom was on her way here. There is a lot of work to do, but one thing they know already, the biggest loss is not the water heater, the freezer or their motorcycles. I had a lot of stuff from like when they were kids, my mom and dad did. So a lot of like sentimental items which they had to get rid of. And sadly, they know they're not alone. Amadagahi, Global News. More examples this weekend of an outpouring of support for those dealing with B.C. flood damage. They range from rugby teams stepping up to retired military members doing what they can to help. Julia Foy has more. The Euro Food Hub started with a single table. It's grown into an important resource for flooded out residents. The ladies cook and bake and do buns for us every day. So a farmer comes in, he needed lunch for eight. We send them with the crock pot. They bring it back at the end of the day. 
And for the families in need, we do have hampers, clothes. Wow. But their services have grown far beyond soup. We are literally a 24-7 hub here. So we have gone out and sandbagged at 1 in the morning. We have delivered water at 3 in the morning. Sometimes the journey has been hard. Just some really terrible stories. And we just try to support everybody. When the waters rose in the community of Huntington, Jake Buskell and his young family had to evacuate. But when they returned and their house was dry, they wanted to help others. We got to get involved and we need to go and help. And we've got lots of friends that are dairy farmers. Buskell reached out to members of the Abbotsford rugby community and they hit the ground running. We've had a lot of a lot of farmers just reach out and say how much they really they, they've appreciated it. And, and it has been emotional at times. The Ruggers got a shout out from B.C.'s agriculture minister. They cleaned hundreds of stalls and then even assisted the family removing uh, stuff from their soggy basement. And after they did that, they moved on to help other farmers. That was pretty cool. I actually read the, the transcript um, the other day and thought, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty nice to hear. And then there's Team Rubicon Canada, made up of veterans and emergency service volunteers. If your basement's flooded, we'll, we'll come and we'll help you get uh, stuff out of the basement, take out drywall, take out carpet. Everyone here said they have one thing in common, their desire to help others. We've been lucky. Apart from some sleepless nights and a bit of stress, we haven't had to deal with, any, um, with anything really uh, overly devastating. I get paid daily in uh, hugs and kindness. Uh, the kids have made me cards, posters. Farmers have been sending me flowers. Julia Foy, Global News. Meantime, B.C.'s acting deputy premier and public safety minister got a first-hand glimpse at the flooding devastation in the small town of Princeton during a tour on Friday. Kristen Robinson has more on what it meant for the community. The irreparable damage laid out in the streets. Princeton residents are clearing out the contents of life as they once knew it. On Friday, B.C.'s public safety minister on the ground in one of the hardest hit areas in the town of 3100. It means we're being heard, and we're not being ignored, and that's so important. Mayor Spencer Coyne giving Mike Farnworth a tour of the worst of the water's wrath, including a Canadian Forces flight over the Tulamine Valley devastation. We're able to show them what we've done, show them what we're dealing with, and, and show them how we're going to come out of this. Flood ravaged since mid-November, Princeton caught a break during the most recent storm when the river that flows through town didn't rise high enough to breach dikes. We're still in repair mode, but we're going to start moving into recovery here um, hopefully this week. The province has approved over $2.1 million in emergency response funds for Princeton, which the mayor says will help pay for Tulamine River dike repairs and replacing water lines under the river. Two of five lines are fixed, and the town has enough water pressure for fire protection. I think by the end of it, we're going to be, municipal losses are going to be over the 10 million mark. Coyne hopes they'll be able to lift some evacuation orders soon, so people can return home and start rebuilding their lives. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
We know British Columbians come out to help in any time of need. So Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM 730 and Global Okanagan are partnering for BC Together in support of BC flood relief. You can visit globalnews.ca slash BC Together to check out the group stepping up to help and to donate if you can to an organization of your choice. Well, the weather on the south coast is back in the news this weekend, but not for rain, this time for snow. Take a look. This was the scene on Sumas Mountain in Abbotsford this morning. People were out shoveling their sidewalks and tobogganing. It was also the perfect day to pick up a Christmas tree. The valley had about three centimeters of snow overnight. Westwood Plateau in Coquitlam, twice that. A special weather statement has been issued for Metro Vancouver, Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast and Howe Sound for tomorrow night. Up to 10 centimetres of snow is expected by Monday morning. A snowfall warning has been ended for the Coquihalla Hope to Merritt and Highway 3. Yvonne will have her full forecast just ahead, including what we can expect on the Monday morning commute. A former B.C. ferry is making waves off Vancouver Island where locals are concerned the ship may be pulled apart in an environmentally sensitive area. The Queen of Burnaby arrived in the Comox Valley this week and is currently moored in Union Bay. The vessel has been up for sale since it was decommissioned and retired from the ferry fleet in 2017. B.C. Ferries plans to recycle the Queen of Burnaby and says the ship is being temporarily stored south of Courtney until it can be sold. Residents say a longtime log sort in the area was recently replaced by a marine salvage operation where several barges have been broken down. And here we have this large industrial operation going on that, in, in, in our view, is, is uh, not very friendly to the environment and public safety, and we're wanting some answers. Those oyster leases that are out there, I mean, those guys are, are walking a razor's edge all the time with if anything goes wrong, they have huge amounts of dead loss. Add this type of heavy industry into the area and uh, something bad will happen, I think. A manager at the Union Bay Industries site declined to appear on camera. BC Ferries says it's evaluating proposals to recycle the Queen of Burnaby with companies that follow all safety and environmental procedures and legislation and hopes to have a deal soon. Hundreds of hotel workers held a rally in downtown Vancouver today to protest pandemic job cuts. <laughs> workers from the Pinnacle Harbor Front and other hotels came together to urge guests to request daily sanitizing when they stay in hotels. According to their union, as the tourism industry makes a comeback, hotels around the world are reducing daily sanitization efforts in order to cut down on costs. Hotel workers say they're ready to return to work, but don't want the new measures to affect the safety and guests and employees. We want all of um, downtown Vancouver guests, when they stay at hotels, to make sure they ask for daily room sanitizing every day. It's very important. It's not just important for travelers, it's important for anyone who stays at hotels. After the break, winning the fight for a travel exemption. And I got a phone call from my husband and he was like, check your email, check your email. The good news for a field hockey team stuck in South Africa. Plus, how facial technology helped officers catch a woman trying to pose as her sister at a Blaine border crossing. Canada's junior women's field hockey team is being allowed to come home after being stuck in South Africa.
just super excited to get home and hug my family, yeah. It has been a rough ride for the players. They went to South Africa to compete in the Junior World Cup. But then the Omicron COVID-19 variant was discovered in the country. The championship was cancelled and Canada closed its doors to 10 African countries. Since then, field hockey officials have been trying to navigate evolving testing and travel rules to get the team home. It's left team members and their parents on an emotional roller coaster. If this flight doesn't come through and we aren't able to get a charter through the Canadian government, what do we do? And we woke up this morning, that was still the same scenario, so we started you know, writing our MPs again, going back on social media, reaching out to anyone we can. And then I was dropping my, my third daughter off here at the field today for her game, and I got a phone call from my husband, and he was like, check your email, check your email. They got an exception, they get to come through. So, uh, yeah, today started off pretty wretched, and I am very, very hopeful that we're going to get them home. As the federal government tightens measures against the Omicron COVID-19 variant, there is growing uncertainty on how they'll be implemented. Ottawa tightening testing rules for all international arrivals except the U.S. That includes new testing on arrival. But it's still not clear how that will work. For instance, will you have to take a test before you clear customs? Or will it mean you'll be handed a test to take at home? The answer could determine how long it takes to leave the airport once you've landed. There are still some unanswered questions, though. The, the, the main one being, uh, you know, how, how many of these tests on arrival are going to have to be conducted in the airport uh, facility where uh, versus, uh, say, a take home test uh, with you know, some real concerns about uh, wait times uh, and, and delays if we if we have to rely very heavily, if the government chooses to uh, rely very heavily on on the on site uh, tests. Facial biometric technology has been used to bust a woman who tried to pose as her sister at a Blaine border crossing. It happened at the Pacific Crossing on November 26th. U.S. Customs and Border Protection says the woman wasn't vaccinated, so she tried to use her sister's U.S. passport and COVID-19 vaccination card. She was caught when an officer detected a facial mismatch while processing her at the bus terminal. The biometric comparison technology is used to automate the document checks that are required for entry into the U.S. It has been one year since Prince George became home to an air ambulance and the helicopter has been an invaluable tool during the pandemic. The start of this helicopter in particular um, saw many calls to Fort St. James during a COVID outbreak. The air ambulance stationed at Prince George Airport has helped transfer COVID-19 patients to hospitals outside of the region. Flight crews have been dispatched to 137 medical emergencies, including in smaller communities outside the city, landing on highways, fields and isolated chopper landing pads. The team responds to an average of 11 calls per month, including vehicle crashes in remote locations. The helicopter is also helping to attract more paramedics to the Northern Health region. Last April, Prince George offered a critical care paramedic training program, and that's the first time in our history that it's ever been offered outside of Vancouver. And we're really happy to say that a second intake is happening in January. The BC Ambulance Service says it's expecting two new candidates for Prince George's critical care program in the new year.
A new highway interchange has opened to traffic in Delta. The interchange with roundabout with a roundabout rather will provide a better connection between the Highway 91 connector, Highway 17 and River Road. Commuters will no longer need to cross a rail line to access Highway 17. Other benefits include decreased travel time, better cycling connections and improved inspection service for commercial vehicles. $260 million was allocated to construct the interchange with three more planned for the highway. And coming up, Michigan manhunt. The facts of this case are so egregious. Where the parents of a teen accused in the Oxford High School shooting were found and what happens now. Plus, I don't know where to turn, what to do. How CERB payments are affecting seniors' pensions and why thousands are now being told they owe money. The parents of a teenager who's accused of carrying out a deadly shooting at a Michigan high school are under arrest. James and Jennifer Crumbly appeared in a Detroit court this morning, pleading not guilty to involuntary manslaughter charges. They're being held on a $1 million bond. Their son Ethan is accused of killing four classmates and wounding seven other people on Tuesday. The manhunt ended around 2 a.m. this morning when a Detroit business owner called 911 saying he saw their car and a woman in his parking lot. Police arrived and after a search, they arrested the couple. Now, their attorney told authorities they plan to turn themselves in, but the U.S. Marshals considered them fugitives. Prosecutors say their actions directly contributed to that deadly school shooting. The facts of this case are so egregious. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald expressed her astonishment at the events that led up to the shooting at Oxford High School, saying the actions of Ethan Crumbly's parents went far beyond negligence. Any individual who had the opportunity to stop this tragedy should have done so. McDonald offered new details into Tuesday's shooting, revealing that Ethan was with his father on Black Friday when the gun was purchased, and that Ethan and his mother had made social media posts about it. Ethan just got my new beauty today, and Jennifer Crumbly writing over Thanksgiving weekend that it was a, quote, mom and son day, testing out his new Christmas present. School officials became concerned on Monday, a day before the shooting, when a teacher saw Ethan Crumbly searching for ammunition on his phone. His mother was contacted by the school, but phone records show she told her son in a text message, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught. On the day of the shooting, prosecutors say a teacher found a note on Ethan Crumbly's desk depicting violent images and messages. In another section of the note was a drawing of a bullet with the following words above that bullet, quote, blood everywhere. Further down the drawing are the words, quote, my life is useless, end quote. And to the night right of that are the words, Quote, the world is dead. Crumbly's parents were summoned to the school and told to get him into counseling within 48 hours. They resisted the idea of taking him home. The 15-year-old returned to class, and prosecutors say he then carried out the shooting. Upon hearing the news of the shooting, Jennifer Crumbly texted her son saying, Ethan, don't do it. James Crumbly called 911 to say that a gun was missing from their home and that his son might be the shooter. I expect parents and, and everyone to, to have humanity and, and to step in um, and, and stop, stop a potential tragedy. 
The Crumleys are each facing four charges of involuntary manslaughter. Under Michigan law, prosecutors can bring those charges if they feel their actions contributed to a situation with a high chance of harm or death. Michael George, CBS News, Pontiac, Michigan. Back here in Canada, tens of thousands of seniors are being told they owe money after pension payments have been affected by emergency COVID-19 funding offered by the federal government. Initially, CERB was a relief, but as Global's Sarah Comedina reports, it's causing some seniors major headaches. You know, it's kind of embarrassing going to the food bank. For the first time, Jacqueline Johnston had to turn to the food bank for help. It started last year. The 65-year-old said she called the CRA three times to make sure she was eligible for CERB. I asked, and they said, yes, you can apply. Over seven months, she collected $14,000. And then I got a letter in the mail, I think it was July or August, stating that that was an overpayment. Not just an overpayment, she has to pay it all back. It's also affected her guaranteed income supplement for this year. The CERB payments pushed her over the limit. I was getting widow's pension because I'm a widow. I was getting the regular pension and I was getting the OPP. Now I'm cut down to, I don't even make $900 a month. Linda Rockman has the same issue. Without no notice at all, I had $800 taken from my income. The 70-year-old is now looking for a job. You answer these questions every time you go to claim a payment. And yeah, I mean, I understood I was doing, I was doing the right thing. Debt expert Nina Cameron says they're not the only ones. They are being told that they have to pay this amount back, which is one separate issue, but then they're also being told that they do not qualify for their guaranteed income supplement. In November, federal officials said nearly 83,000 low-income seniors who received one of the three federal recovery benefits were pushed above the threshold to qualify for GIS. The systems to correct this are very complicated. The Canadian government says if anyone thinks their 2020 income should be reassessed to contact the CRA. But making that contact has been difficult. It's just a real runaround. Call this number, call that number. Fill out those papers. Johnston and Rockman need answers, and soon. I don't know how I'm going to go on. I don't know where to turn, what to do. Sarah Comedina, Global News. Coming up next, city construction concerns. It's kind of tough to kind of stand behind a price along with stand behind a timeline when we can't get our product. How some companies are scrambling to get supplies as B.C. floods impact major projects. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We'll tell you how many plates the UGM is serving up today in its annual Christmas meal. That is just ahead. But first, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast. And Yvonne, some parts of BC seeing the first flurries of the season today. Yeah, and it's really higher elevations that we had a bit of accumulating snowfall and then wet snow and changing over to rain. And we are tracking another weather maker that'll impact our commute for Monday morning. And I'll have more on the timeline coming up in just a moment. But the snow out there, Westwood Plateau, this is closer to 350 meters. That's in Coquitlam, Brad, sending us this 
one. And that reported up to six centimeters of snowfall. Simon Fraser University, that's the usual spot for Burnaby Mountain, getting closer to three centimeters. And a great shot of the snowfall in Maple Ridge. And this one was sent in from Judy, so thank you so much. We do have dry conditions this evening, but it'll be chilly. Make sure you do bundle up. Temperatures with the windshield will feel closer to minus six as we get in towards the morning hours. And we've got a mainly sunny sky, so a nice, bright and pleasant start in towards the morning. As we get in late in the day, we do have an increase in cloud cover. Then that weather maker that is going to bring the potential for snow is going to move in late Sunday overnight and leading in towards our Monday morning with some of the heavier rain, a heavier snowfall rather. Here's the nice break that we're anticipating, but in behind it, this will be the system that will bring in that potential for some snowfall. So increasing cloud cover through the day dry, but then it's really late evening, overnight, and looking ahead towards our Monday morning. That'll be the potential for some snowfall and a special weather statement issued for all areas that are in yellow. It's really higher elevations that could see that range between two, potentially up to 10 centimeters. There's lots of variability as always, and locally we'll be tracking that, but this special weather statement is extending in towards the Fraser Valley and all the way in towards Hope, but it's really higher elevations, the usual spots that could see that potential, but a few areas could see anywhere between a trace and up to two centimeters across Metro Vancouver. So stay tuned, especially as we get in towards tomorrow night. I'll have another update as well. Now, the northern half of the province, an increase in cloud cover, bright, dry conditions with a mix of sun and cloud for much of the central and southern interior. It'll be an increase in cloud cover, and the potential for that snowfall for the southern interior and the mountain passes will be overnight and a look ahead towards Monday. So similar along the south coast, but pleasant through the day tomorrow. We'll have a mainly cloudy sky as we get in through the day, a cooler one tomorrow with just highs up to four degrees, but then a heads up, plan for the Monday morning commute. That's where we're seeing the potential for that snowfall to potentially up to 10 centimeters. Locally, higher elevations as we'll see accumulating snowfall, a bit of a break on Tuesday, and then temperatures warming up on Wednesday. It looks to be periods of rain. Neithu? All right, snow just in time for the start of December. Thanks for that, Yvonne. The Union Gospel Mission holding its annual Christmas meal for those in need today. A total of 1,800 meals being served to go at the downtown east side, Mission, Surrey and New Westminster locations. Staff and volunteers preparing and serving 1,500 pounds of turkey, 375 pounds of stuffing, 425 pounds of mashed potatoes along with gravy, vegetables, cranberry sauce and 350 cherry pies. Volunteers like Lindsay Miles Pickup say it's been a tough year and one meal can make a big difference. This meal has been happening for a number of years um, to make sure that folks feel really welcomed during the Christmas season. We know that this season can be particularly tough for individuals who may be separated from their family or friends. And there's nothing more impactful than being able to be together with one another during a meal. Today marked the Union Gospel Mission's sixth major holiday meal since the start of the pandemic. And the need certainly has been great. All right, Barry's here for a preview of what is coming up in sports today. Barry, a busy night? Uh, yes, as always, Saturday nights. And the Canucks hoping uh, to break new ground this year. They've not won three in a row yet, which is probably why they're in last place in the Pacific. But they have a chance to do that against the Penguins. We'll preview that one. And also Alex Ovechkin. Another milestone goal. That guy's 36. He's playing like he's 26. So that's coming up as well. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much for that, Barry. Also ahead, scrambling to patch up the supply chain. I think people need to just be a little bit patient with the construction companies and just understand that, you know, we're doing our best. How BC's wild weather is threatening Kelowna's billion-dollar building boom.
working as one to connect our province. BC Together, in support of BC Flood Relief. Visit globalnews.ca slash Together to learn where and how you can help today. Current highway closures in B.C. are affecting the transport of construction material, causing delays in major developments around Kelowna. Yasmin Gandam spoke, spoke to local construction companies on how the delay is affecting them. Construction may still be happening, but the ongoing supply chain issues have both development companies and customers in the dark as to when projects will be finished and how much extra costs will be added. Being able to hit timelines and price, price, price points too, right? Budgets that we've given clients now are kind of changing because well, a lot of other things are changing. So I mean, it's kind of tough to kind of stand behind a price along with stand behind a timeline when we can't get our product. One of the biggest development companies in Kelowna, Mission Group, says so far they haven't experienced significant delays, but they expect that to change. But we recognize there's going to be a backlog of shipments that will likely continue to have an effect over the coming weeks and probably months. Although Mission Group tells us that they are trying to find creative solutions to the problem, there are supply chain issues being experienced across Kelowna, affecting the construction timeline and the boom. There's also ways that we can source materials from Alberta or, or maybe even further east, uh, even through the U.S. So again, we're, we're trying to be as creative as possible, but uh, everybody is, including our, our suppliers and, and trade partners, are are pressing forward as best we can. Development companies urge people to be patient as delays hopefully get sorted out with the weather improving. I think people need to just be a little bit patient with the construction companies and just understand that, you know, we're doing our best. We're working with what we got. And right now it's going to be like that for a little bit. And we apologize for the delays. It's not really up to us, but we're doing our best. The boom may not be roaring at the moment, but construction companies are confident things will be back to business as usual soon. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. All right, Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break and later. And we thought this would be an excellent way to show their appreciation and help the flood victims. How Okanagan youth set up this giant solar star at the top of a mountain and the deeper meaning behind it. Support the Salvation Army's Fill the Kettle campaign. For the next five weeks, the iconic red kettles will line the streets in communities across BC. Help them reach their goal of raising $5 million in an effort to feed, clothe, and shelter individuals and families in need of support. Double your support to the Surrey Hospital Foundation to help the Jim Pattison Outpatient Care and Surgery Center upgrade their equipment for the public. When you donate, it will be matched by businessman Jim Pattison himself. Doubleyourdonation.ca to support. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for the full sports cast on what is another busy night in sports. Barry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about those Canucks who are certainly uh, feeling a lot better about themselves than they were, say, a week ago. They will try to win three straight games for the first time all season tonight when they take on the Penguins at Rogers Arena. Beating bottom feeders like Montreal and Ottawa is definitely good for the confidence, but we'll see where the Canucks are truly really at against a quality opponent like Pittsburgh. The Pens 
can shut teams down like they did to the Canucks a couple of weeks ago in Pittsburgh. Surrey's Tristan Jari gets the starting goal for the Penguins. His first ever appearance against the Canucks in his hometown, a team he watched closely as a kid. I guess the goalies were always ones that I always watched. We had season tickets uh, three rows up right behind the goalie. So it was, I guess I got to watch the goalie very closely. So it was, I guess that was something that I always ended up seeing and always watched during the games. It'd be pretty cool. It's one of the teams that you grow up watching. You see the law of them. And I think just the generations that you see the players come through and just to watch all different players that played in this organization, I think it'd be cool to play against them in your home city. Yeah, they're a challenge. I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, they're always, they're always going to play fast. They always work hard. That's why they won the Cups, you know, a couple of years ago. And it seems like you're in, they're in the hunt every single season. So it's definitely a tough matchup always against those guys. NHL tonight, two teams on a roll. Leafs and Wild both have won five straight. Second period, Wild led 3-0 at one point, but the Leafs charged back. Jason Spezza scored once and then again on the power play. And it's 3-2. And then on a late power play in that period, Spezza, beautiful laser pass to Austin Matthews for his 14th of the year. 3-3 right now, late third. Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals taking on Columbus at age 36. Ovechkin is having one of his best seasons ever. Fires home his 20th of the season. Second in the league behind only Leon Dreisaitl's 21. Career goal 750 for OV. Fourth all-time, 16 behind third place Yarmir Yager and 144 behind Wayne Gretzky's all-time total as the Caps won at 3-1. to one. Well, congratulations to the Langley Rams junior football team. A decisive 37-0 shutout victory over London in the Canadian Bowl championship game. They set a Canadian Bowl record with 10 sacks. It's the first ever national title for the Rams. Meanwhile, Vanier Cup, the Canadian University football championship. Saskatchewan Huskies, Western Mustangs playing the game in Laval, Quebec. Western is out of London, Ontario. And the Mustangs pulled away in the third. Griffin Campbell with his second touchdown of the game. Mustangs went up 10, and they go on to win it 27-21. Western Mustangs, the 2021 Vanier Cup champs. Mitch Jones and the Vancouver Warriors opening up the National Lacrosse League season in San Diego last night. Jones sniped five goals on the night, helped uh, lead a nice Warrior comeback. That cut the lead to 6-4. And then in the fourth, that makes it 7-6. Keegan Ball had four assists as well. And then Adam Charlambides wins it as the Warriors get a big win, 8-7. Their home opener Friday, December 17th against Saskatchewan Rush. English Premiership first place Chelsea taking on surprising West Ham, who are fourth but West Ham showed they are legit, tied late, but Arthur Masuaku with the shocking goal from distance, and West Ham with a 3-2 uh, upset. They remain fourth on 27 points. So with that loss, Man City in Watford, a chance to leapfrog over Chelsea into first place. Four minutes in, Raheem Sterling all alone. Easy header to the back of the net. 1-0 City early, and then Bernardo Silva will net a pair for Man City. This turned out to be the game winner. A fantastic left footer inside the far post and Man City win it 3-1. So they are in fact first place. Now Liverpool also with a chance 
to leap past Chelsea into second, taking on Wolves. Waited a long time to see a goal in this match, but in stoppage time, Divock Origi with the goal. Liverpool had scored four goals in each of their last three. Just got one today, but it was enough. They're now second, a point back of Man City, one up on Chelsea. Hero World Challenge from the Bahamas. 20-man field, no Canadians invited to the Tiger Woods host event. Colin Morikawa, the big mover today. Par 5 third, chipping from off the green. And these guys practice the short game for hours. And that's why they do stuff like this. Morikawa holds it for eagle. He had a bogey-free round, a great splash shot out of the bunker here on the short par 4, 14th. Led to another birdie, 8 under 64 today. He's at 8 under, a five-shot lead over Brooks Kepka. Second-round leader Bryson DeChambeau is now eight shots back. Coquitlam resident and city councillor Terry Towner has been on the run of late. Towner's lived up to her name, literally running every street in the towns of the Tri-Cities. Jay Janauer has her story. Terry Towner has been jogging on and off her whole life, but last year in the midst of the pandemic, Towner became inspired after reading a story about a fellow runner in her local newspaper. Terry's been running ever since, and not just around her community of Coquitlam. The local paper, the Tri-City News, covered a story of a Port Coquitlam woman who had qualified and been accepted into the Boston Marathon, but it got cancelled. So she thought, what am I going to do? And she ran every street in Port Coquitlam. It just resonated with me and I decided to run every street in Coquitlam. And then once I ran all of Coquitlam, which took a, quite a while, I got, a, I got a little bit hooked. Actually, more like addicted. Terry's become a running version of Google Maps for the Tri-Cities. Four pairs of worn-out shoes later, she's covered more pavement and streets than a transit bus. Seriously. Okay, well, I did Coquitlam first, and that's over 1,100 streets, and it was over 1,200 kilometers of running. And then I did Port Moody, which was, I think, 289 streets, very hilly as well. Anmore and Balcara, the villages, and I saved Port Coquitlam. Number of streets, total destination. Okay, the number of streets, I went to the City Strides app and it was 1,943 streets for the five, the Tri-Cities and the two villages. And it was just under 2,000 kilometers of running. Now that Terry's ran out of neighborhoods and streets to conquer, she's not about to retire to the couch. She's loved connecting with the beauty and nuances of the various communities. So Terry's going to keep on running. And her latest goal or challenge, if you put it, is a tasty one. I joke that my next quest will be to try and sip a beer on every brewery in the Lower Mainland, on the patio. I joke about that. Well, fitting that Terry Towner saved her final run to finish at Patina Brewing Company in Port Coquitlam, cruise down Marpole Avenue into Port Coquitlam to end her remarkable journey and begin a new one. The friend of mine said if I saved this street to land, he'd buy me a beer. Congratulations. <laughs> so, I'm here for my beer. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. See, that's a politician that kept her promise. She said ah. she was going for the beer, and dang it, she drank that beer. <laughs> there so you go. Congratulations to her. Indeed. All right. Thanks very much for that, Barry. And we'll be right back with the story of how some youngsters in Lake Country are lighting up lives at the top of a local mountain. Stay with us. Each of us has our reasons to end cancer, and we can, from the patient receiving a diagnosis to the researcher on the cusp of the next breakthrough. This is personal. Give today at bccancerfoundation.com.
Well, a big shiny star is sitting on a hillside above Okanagan Lake once again this year, but it's been put there in celebration of the holiday season and the spirit of giving by some very community-minded and very young Lake Country residents. Kimberly Davidson has the story. The first light-up of the season for a big star, high up on Spy on Cop Mountain overlooking Lake Country, turned into a little impromptu community party. It's been fantastic already. This is the second year the star has lit up the holidays. Some neighborhood kids thought it would be a good idea to hike up the mountain with a bunch of supplies, build the wooden frame star, and attach solar-powered lights to it, just to share the holiday spirit. It was such a hit the first time, there was only one way to improve upon the idea. We made it 14 feet instead of 8, so it's even bigger. It was a lot more work because we had to hang it even higher so it wouldn't hit the ground, and the ladder was quite heavy. And then another idea came to the kids. Another way to celebrate this time of giving. There you go. You're welcome. We decided to collect food because last year people were wanted to show their appreciation for it, and we thought this would be an excellent way to show their appreciation and help the flood victims. A two-evening food drive and light-up celebration. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It just goes to show a spark of generosity often spreads. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. Great photo at the end there. Amazing initiative. That's so nice to see. Great job. And they obviously managed to hike up that mountain before the snow fell in that region. (laughs) (laughs) And now they can enjoy it over the next few days. Uh, A look ahead, especially a final look at your forecast. A heads up, tomorrow it's going to be pleasant. We'll have a mainly cloudy sky as we get in through the day. But uh, plan uh, your Monday commute because we are seeing the potential for some snow, wet snow. It'll be accumulating. That's possible for higher elevations. And the timeline, it's key. It'll be Sunday overnight in towards our Monday morning commute. And a very chilly start for tomorrow morning with the wind chill feeling close to minus six. All right, bundle up everybody and drive safe out there, especially on that Monday morning commute. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Have a great night.